Good morning. My name is Alex, and I'm the lead pastor here at Courtright, and normally I leave my mask over there before I come up, but for some reason I just wanted to show it to you all this morning. I've been feeling pretty good about the hockey team I support, but this is our AGM Sunday. We have a special focus on unity, so I'm going to I'll hide this for those of you who are suffering as Habs fans. Maybe, maybe Allison will pray for you later, Justin. There we go. It's gone. It's gone. This morning, we have a one-off sermon is usually what we call these. Uh, it's going to be worship and a message that leads us, we trust, right into our AGM. And we're going to think about what it means to sit at the feet of Jesus, to not be too busy to do that. I encourage you to open up your Bibles now to Luke chapter 10, whether you've got a hard copy of Scripture or it's on a screen in front of you, and you might want to keep that open. I will be referring to some verses as we go through. It's also handy to be able to see what came right before the passage we're focusing on, what comes right after Let's pray before we read from God's Word. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come this morning and to meet us in our circumstances. Some of us are in really difficult circumstances, um, facing profound challenges. And others of us are, are coming from places of relative contentment. Lord, you want us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, every one of us, so that we can go deeper into your will, so that we can learn to love you more. Would you lead us into that place of sitting at your feet this morning? We pray in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So we're going to read Luke 10 verses 38 to 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will, be, it will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And next week, I'm pleased to let you know, as you probably already do, there will be a great chorus of thanks be to God's in this room. I can't wait for that because I'm tired of saying it to myself. Well, there's a, there's a few people here who do occasionally oblige me, but I'm really excited about next Sunday and hope to see a good number of you here. So one of the things we see in the Gospels is that people were constantly asking Jesus, what must I do? 
They wanted Jesus to give them the secret to eternal life. They wanted a list. They wanted a formula. I once saw somebody with a button that had these words on it. Jesus is coming, look busy. That slogan makes fun of some of the wrong ideas we may have about Christian faith. As if Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock, it's time for your performance review. Is that how we think of Jesus, as a demanding taskmaster for whom we have to be or appear to be on our best behavior? That he's at the helm of some kind of great cosmic surveillance system in the sky and our job down here is to dodge the cameras as much as we can? Over the past couple of months in our sermon series on vocation, one of the big takeaways for us was that God doesn't work that way. He doesn't start by giving us a job to do, let alone a job which he's critical of us about and watching out for our mistakes. Rather than starting by giving us a job to do, he calls us, first of all, to be someone rather than to do something. We want to know what we should do. We want the answer. But Jesus says, come to me and find out who you truly are. He invites us into a relationship. Here in Luke 10, we see Jesus and his disciples come to the village of Bethany, which was three kilometers east of Jerusalem. And there, Martha opens her home to them. It's Martha's home. She's the older sister. Jesus was friends with Martha and her little sister Mary and their brother Lazarus. This isn't the first time that he's visited them. Earlier, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And we saw then how different the two sisters were. After Lazarus died, Martha ran to meet Jesus when he arrived in Bethany and scolded him for coming too late. But her sister Mary simply wept. Here in this passage, again, we see those differences. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha was detail-oriented. She knew how to get things done. But she was also driven to distraction. And the word in the original language behind distraction there means to be pulled from the right focus. It means to be overwhelmed and overburdened. It means to have too much on your plate. And that was the problem. On the outside, Martha seemed to have it all together. On the inside, she was a mess. Jesus does not tell Martha to leave the kitchen and to come right away and sit at his feet. The problem isn't what Martha's doing. Jesus is concerned about the effect it's having on her, that she's worried and upset. Right away, Martha's attention goes to where it's least likely to help. She resents her sister, but Martha doesn't go to Mary and raise the issue with her directly. She could have insisted that Mary get down to work. She had that right as the older sister in that culture. No, instead, she goes to Jesus and complains. When Martha asks Jesus to get Mary to help her, the word there means to share a burden. And of course, we want to share our burdens with each other. 
We're called to do that as Christians. But, but Jesus wants us to start with him. Jesus has a different way to free Martha and to free all of us from the weight that we're carrying, from the weight of resentment, the weight of comparing ourselves to others, the weight of blaming others. And so he invites Martha to look into her own heart. He says, Martha, Martha, and those, that repetition of Martha's name indicates an, an emotional edge to what Jesus is saying. It's empathy. He cares. He's not upset with her. So he says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset. And then he points to the one thing that is better. He's right in front of her. Jesus says to Martha and to all of us, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Mary had a focus. She was concentrating on the words of Jesus. To concentrate means to be with a center. And Mary was with her center. She had found it in Jesus. She was saying yes to the one thing that matters most of all. And so Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he was saying. Jesus tells Martha, Mary has chosen what is better, and it won't be taken away from her. When Jesus says to Mary that, when Jesus says to Martha that Mary has chosen what is better, it's only a rough translation. What he says more precisely is that Mary has chosen the good portion. If you look it up in the King James Version, it says Mary has chosen the good part. And the good portion means the right meal, the best food, the portion of what is to be consumed, what is available. Mary has chosen to sit at the feet of Jesus and reflect on his teaching and on the kingdom of God. And it, when it says it cannot be taken away from her, it must mean that it's not literal food. There's a remarkable parallel here to a part of Psalm 119 where it says, you are my portion, Lord. I have promised to obey your words. I have sought your face with all my heart. Be merciful to me as you have promised. I pondered the direction of my life, and I turned to, to follow your laws. To have God as your portion is to be ready to be taught. It's to be teachable. Are you willing to sit at the feet of Jesus? Is it part of your, your habit, the habits of your life, to be still, to stop in the presence of God and to respond to his word, to listen to Jesus? Now, we can't do that by our own effort. Those of us, and I think probably that's many of us, certainly this has been my experience at times, we've tried to work hard to listen better to God. That never goes well in the end. We start by inviting the Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out. It's about who we are. It's not about what we do primarily. And only the Spirit can do His work of transformation. So does that mean that we can stop working? That we, we should look at Martha's example here and have nothing to do with it? That we don't need to make preparations? No, but it does mean that we need to get the order right. Notice again that Jesus never tells Martha to stop serving. Rather, it's the distraction, it's the resentment that's the focus of his concern. 
You see, Martha making a meal here is a good thing. It's an act of service. Jesus is inviting us to rest in his presence, but he's still asking us to reach out with his love and to serve others. We're to be known as a people of hospitality, and that means doing the dishes. Of course it does. Jesus also says that if we try to serve or make it happen solely on our own, in our own power, we will grind down to nothing. We will burn out. We cannot manage that. Some of us prefer to start in the kitchen, to start with work, to start with our own devices, in the office, in the shop. There's something deeper going on there, the way we are so busy, the fixation many of us have on our work. I think the deeper thing is that we're trying to earn God's approval. In his excellent book, Every Good Endeavor, Connecting Your Work to God's Work, Tim Keller calls this the work beneath the work. And if, if your appetite was whetted by our series on vocation, this is a great book to pick up. And if you want to go deeper in some of what we started to talk about in that series, I encourage you to order this book. I don't know if we have it in the church library. We should look into that. Tim Keller talks about the work beneath the work. And that is the spiritual truth behind all of our restlessness, our ambition, our tendency to allow our lives to get so busy. It's the instinct we have to want to control things. It's the feeling that we need to prove ourselves and even save ourselves in order to gain a sense of worth and identity. And when we look for that worth apart from God, maybe we do gain the world, but we will definitely lose our souls in the process. And whatever we have gained eventually will be taken away from us. But Jesus offers us the rest beneath the rest, a true deep rest beneath the shallower rest of days off and weekends and vacations, some of those things that right now with the pandemic, and those are all good things, don't get me wrong, but there's a deeper rest that we need most of all. Jesus offers us the deepest rest from the need to justify ourselves. And he went to the cross to do the work that was necessary. And when he died, you might remember what he said. He said, it is finished. What was finished? The work that every human heart is striving to do on its own. The self-justifying work. Jesus said, I've done it. It's taken care of. So how can you lay down your busyness, your anxiety, the restlessness you feel? How can you walk away from, from that need to prove yourselves to others, to earn their approval, their favor? You can only do it as you are absolutely sure who you are. You can only do it when you know that the Lord delights in you, the only one in the universe to whom you will have to give an account is on your side. He gave everything for you, and he takes delight in you. Jesus says, come to me with your weariness and your burdens, and I will give you rest. And Paul echoes that in Ephesians 2, where we read, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, 
not by works that no one may boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So there is work to be done, but we start with Jesus. We start with his grace and his truth. We sit at his feet and listen to him and receive new life from him. That is the priority that sets everything else in its rightful place. So some practical considerations in all of this. Session recently held a special meeting for a time of repentance about a month ago. And as we tried to figure out how we might have wandered from God's will for courtright, the elders came to the conclusion that one of our primary temptations, both individually as a session and as a whole congregation, has been to try to carry out the mission of the church in our own strength. We've chosen self-sufficiency at times over depending on God. And so repentance is going to be key in finding ourselves at the feet of Jesus. As a church, we want to move from the busyness and the anxiety of the kitchen to the feet of our Lord more and more. And that is something that's good for us to hear as we prepare to gather for our annual meeting later on today. A second practical application of this passage, don't triangulate. Martha complains to Jesus. Now, it's never a bad thing to go to Jesus. But what we often do when we have a grievance with a person is we go to someone else and we complain about them and we leave it there. We may not even go to Jesus. In Matthew 18, we are urged to go directly to the person with whom we have a problem. And that will make for a healthy church. That makes for a healthy organization in your workplace, in your neighborhood. Now, if you're in a setting, maybe a relationship, maybe it's your family, maybe it is your workplace where there is a ton of complaining and blaming of others, that can be pretty toxic. And you may need to either get out of that or to expose yourself less to that. Jesus says, come to me and then go to the other person. Complaining and blaming is actually, I think, one of the primary ways of not dealing with our own issues. And that can even be true of Sunday mornings. It's so easy to be critical of the service, of the sermon. Are you right now sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to what he has for you today? A third practical consideration, keep Sabbath, practice the Sabbath. God gives us a rhythm for the sake of our own health. All of us need to stop working. The word Sabbath, Shabbat in Hebrew literally means to stop. We need to take time away from the distractions of our lives and let's face it, our screens distract us like few other things. And during this pandemic, it has been a world of distraction. We are spending more time on our screens, less time with people than ever before. Apparently, there was a power failure just outside of Guelph on Friday. I was talking to a family uh, who, who lived just outside Guelph, and they were without electricity for 11 hours on Friday. And that led 
to some changes in what they would otherwise normally have done. For one thing, they played a game together. How often do we stop and pay attention to each other? It's much more common, at least for me and in my family, that we're glued to a screen. Andy Crouch has written a really helpful book entitled The TechWise Family, and he suggests that we should take a rest from our technology and turn off our devices for one hour a day, one day a week, and one week a year. Now that's a tall order. Do you think you could do that? For my family, it was huge a few years ago when we started, when we committed to having Sunday as a screen-free day. Now, we have struggled with that. We don't always live up to that goal we've set for ourselves, but it is still our goal, and I'm looking at you right now, family. <laughs> this afternoon, I am going to practice what I've preached. You can hold me accountable, and I might do that, try to do that for you also. So this is important for all of us, but especially if you have kids or grandkids, I want to encourage you to set limits and to say no to those distractions. You can say no to your kids. Do it so you can pay attention to what matters. They don't need the latest iPhone necessarily. Sabbath comes in different ways. It always leads us to pay attention to listen to what God has for us. A fourth practical consideration is how do we practice that in our day-to-day -day lives? How do we listen to the Lord? How do you do that? Well, on Sunday mornings, of course, we're listening to God's Word, and we can do it every day also by setting aside time to be with Him. Reading God's Word and prayer are central disciplines to the Christian life. So I encourage you to ask yourself this week, how are you training yourself to listen to God's voice? How are you developing those habits? Are you creating daily opportunities without distractions to hear what he has to say to you? One of the ways that some of us have been doing that since the pandemic started is by listening to a devotional called Lectio 365. I've mentioned this before and I'm going to mention it this morning again. Lectio 365, each day, invites you to pause and to be still. That's the P. To rejoice with a psalm and to reflect on Scripture. That's the R. To ask for God's help. That's the A. You can maybe see where this is going. And finally, to yield to God's will, to surrender, to intentionally reach for that. P-R-A-Y. Prayer, as we heard last week, faithful prayer is at the very core of the Christian life. And if, like me, you're more of a reader, there are plenty of resources out there for daily time with God that I could recommend to you. So let's pray right now, and let's ask God for help in all of these things that we've discussed this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would nurture in us a love of your word. There are so many voices that we hear and, and we're, I think, often pretty confused by 
all the information that surrounds us, and we are distracted, there's no doubt of that, would you draw us into a relationship with Jesus so that we can receive his rest, his grace, his peace? Would you show us ways that we can practice that on a daily basis, on a weekly basis? Give us, give us the motivation, give us the kind of community here at Courtright that is deliberate about that kind of formation, that kind of shaping. Help us to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed more and more by the renewing of our minds so that we can be close to you in your will, enjoying you. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.